Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast brought to you by Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Mike Lewis and Doug Battle with you today. What we want to do today is go over, uh, call it the top 10 events or moments in the world of sports and sports fandom for 2023. Now, Doug, I had trouble ranking these from 1 to 10, so I don't think there is a ranking. So what I want to do (laughs) is sort of, we'll just, I'll let you call these out randomly, numbers 1 through 10. Okay, so Doug, Call it out. So number nine. Nine. Okay. (laughs) The Bud Light boycott. Oh, man. See, I brought this up yesterday because I saw a Bud Light commercial with Peyton Manning in it. And I was like, they're going for a lot more of a universal appeal now. Peyton Manning, they got American flags and horses are back. Like Bud Light's back. But for for a brief moment there, it was hard to imagine a guy like, Peyton okay. Manning lining his brand with Bud Just Light's to brand. Recap the details. So last spring, Bud Light did a sponsorship with the article describes it as actress and TikTok personality Dylan Mulvaney. So a transgender actress, and the world blew up. Right. Mm-hmm. So Bud Light's core audience of, I think, for the most part, blue collar, blue collar guys, blue collar folks, were suddenly felt like something was in their face, right? That Bud Light was trying to essentially attract a different customer segment, but a customer segment that was sort of politically their enemy. Mm-hmm. And the backlash was, I think, fairly intense. I think Bud Light has still off in terms of where they were, in terms of market share and in terms of sales. And now what we've seen over the course of the year is a lot of folks at Bud, Budweiser, Bud Light have been fired. You've just told me that Peyton Manning is doing a, and again, what a perfect, resp- that is actually just about the best response you could have. Yep. I know Bud Light did a sponsorship with UFC. So they are trying to redirect everything back to their core audiences. So there's a real, so there's a couple things related to the story. Everything is political, right? Everything is political. You got to be very careful with what you do. But number two, come back to the core marketing principles, right? Don't do things that annoy your core segment. Your core segment at Bud Light loves Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. They don't love Dylan Mulvaney. Yeah, it's kind of one interesting side of it that I, 
I, I guess maybe haven't seen as much coverage on is the counter reaction to Bud Light drifting from the Dylan marketing and, and toward American flags and Peyton Manning and UFC fighting. Because there is an audience that probably feels like these brands are pandering to them. Mm-hmm. And then the moment it becomes disadvantageous, the things that they claim to stand for, or promote, or, or unify around as a brand are actually, in fact, just pandering moves that they will gladly discard themselves of as soon as it becomes disadvantageous. And I imagine that that would be to to maybe not their core demographic, but to another demographic that they were previously trying to reach, just as alienating, just as isolating, and just as I'm sure there's people that feel betrayed by brands that do these things that that take such a strong stance and then back away or shy away from or fire people or whatever in order to to reach a wider audience. And so I think that this happens and we've seen it happen with brands and there's two sides to it. And I think from a marketing perspective, it probably is best to stay out of it altogether so that you don't end up in a situation where if you're making things right with your core audience, you're now isolating or um, distancing yourself from another audience that that probably feels betrayed by your brand. I suspect that Bud Light and Budweiser have succeeded in alienating both sides of the political divide. Right. And even like this notion of going out and hiring Peyton Manning or the doing a deal with the UFC – I think those folks view that as that it's marketing, right? That it's in, it's inauthentic. That we do not share values. You're mm-hmm. just upset that sales are off thirty percent, and so now you're coming back around and trying to that it's, that it's all fake. That there's mm-hmm. no alignment in terms of what your brand stands for and what I stand for. So, I, I suspect again, it's been a complete disaster. And, and again, here, I mean, one way to think about this, Doug. Think about all the Super Bowl ads you've seen with Budweiser and Bud Light over the course of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Clydesdales, the Bud Bowl. They're very wholesome American yeah. campaigns. And they decided to throw that – I don't know that they throw that away, but call into question everything they had built over the course of this one silly little promotion trying to reach – I, I don't know, a new audience via TikTok, right? I mean, really ill-advised just from a business perspective. Yeah, and I think another takeaway is that I don't know if you can reach everybody in this day and age because no matter what you do, it seems to offend or, or alienate somebody. And so I think from Bud Light's standpoint... Yeah, I mean, let's let's say that explicitly. A Donald Trump supporter does not want to drink the same beer as a Joe Biden supporter and vice versa. (laughs) I mean, but, but I will say it seems like they want to root for the same sports teams and they want to go see Taylor Swift. (laughs) So there are, there are things where it works, but very few things. Because even with, I was Mike, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings yesterday watching some NFL and I noticed Justin Fields had the end racism patch or sticker or whatever on the back of his helmet. And we've seen that in the NFL. They had in the end zones last year uh, or in the previous years, 2020 and so on. And 
Um, and that was something where when they stopped doing that, there was a little backlash of, oh, do we not want to end racism anymore? You know, but on the flip side, there's there's people that, that don't want any kind of social activism money. going on with sports. And so there, there's still a level, even though everyone like in Chicago, I seriously doubt conservatives aren't watching the Bears because of whatever stances the players are making and on the or I, I doubt that there's liberals who aren't watching the bears because they took in racism out of the end zone so it's like there it's still unifying but it also there's this extra twist of it's a little bit more complex now and it's like if the bears didn't make a stance on that they probably would get canceled by somebody for telling the players to shut up and dribble uh, and if they do make a stance then they're ostracized by another segment of fans and so it's a very difficult time to try to reach a mass audience and create something that's universally appealing well look doug i mean i I gotta think that and i'm just talking now so again someone could push back and say i don't know what i'm talking about i would guess that that if, if you look at who's sitting at soldier field that that's a 70 percent republican audience 30% liberal, Democrat, 70% Republican. So I I would guess that the Bears fandom, even in a place like Illinois, which is a very kind of left-leaning state, that that Bears audience skews conservative. And so these teams, I think the situation is almost worse than than you put it out there, right? So the fan base is slightly conservative, but the media environment is intensely progressive, Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a really tricky thing for for the, for all of these brands and these these teams to navigate. And, and look, even we talk a lot about Gen Z as you go younger. Doc, there are no Republicans in Gen Z. I mean, and the, the conservatives in Gen Z are a. Except, you know, who is that one kid who stood in the face of the Native American guy? And, in Washington D.C., and then got in that lawsuit with CNN and made a bunch of money. Yeah, that kid, uh, when that I say kid was stout. When stout I say they're done, of course I'm exaggerating, but you know, you look at that demographic, and you're desperate to get this new generation of fans in. And I mean, the way you describe that is actually pretty good. The courage a member of Gen Z has to have to say I'm a conservative or a Republican is pretty tough, right? Well, so we say even work. that there might be less conservatives in Gen Z than Major League Baseball fans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or they might be the same people. They, they might, might be, be the, same, the same number. Yeah. They might be the same people that, you know, that, and look, it is probably, I mean, when you look at who's playing youth baseball, there's probably a lot of correlation in terms of those two those two behaviors, right? It's conservative parents going out for this all-American, this formerly all-American sport of baseball where the fandom is is built through youth programs. Okay, Doug, we're getting down to it. Let's see what's left. One, two, three, four is left, five's left. Let's do five. And ten. Four, five, and ten. Let's do five. Okay. The Otani contract. <laughs> 70 million over 10 years. And so <laughs> I think this is indicative of the world of sports moving towards more power, 
for the superstar players, right? And so it doesn't particularly matter what sport it is. We're seeing more of this kind of concentration of fame, stardom, and financial rewards to a smaller group of people. I, I think we've moved away from every market has their own star to there's a few guys that are global superstars. Otani is truly this global figure, $700 million for a guy that is 30 years old. It's it, it's And again, one of the things that's special about sports, right, is everything's based on comparables. So when the next guy comes through, I'm as good as Otani. My stats are better. You need to pay me $720 million. Does this have ramifications across across all of sports? I mean, when you look at what the top paid athletes were getting in a lot of sports, it was about $50 million per year. Now it's $70 million a year. So does Max Verstappen and Formula One want to renegotiate? Do, do some of the global soccer players, those are the only guys that make more actually per season. Does that influence the amount of money I need to go to live golf? Does that mean that the next super, the next quarterback contract needs to go from fifty-five million per year to sixty-five million per year? Actually, does Patrick Mahomes feel? Does Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert? Do those guys feel gypped right now? Are they looking at it like, oh man, probably should have waited. Lamar <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> Well, look, I don't know. Look, I mean, I need Patrick to fire Mahomes, my agent. I need to fire Mahomes my agent. Mahomes is clearly going to nego- renegotiate that, right? I mean, what was that? Ten years for four hundred and fifty million. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't be surprised if Mahomes is renegotiated, particularly if he comes off a really successful year, wins another Super Bowl. Then maybe you're going to see him go to sixty-five million for the remainder of that contract, with a little bit of an extension. Yeah. So, kids, if you're listening, focus on sports. <laughs> <laughs> and in particular, focus on baseball because you can play for a long time. You can play or for golf. a long time. Golf, yeah, baseball, etc. Yeah, I think golf golf might be the I don't know. That might be the one. But they don't they don't pay they don't they don't pay for per amount of physical exertion <laughs> you get paid the most probably. I don't know, baseball baseball's up there, but um yeah, Otani. I'm really curious to see how it goes in Los Angeles. If if this uh, inevitably they'll be in the World Series, right? And what do the TV ratings look like? What do they look like internationally? What are the jersey sales like internationally? What do the sponsorship uh, dollars look like? And that's the one thing that we won't be able to see, which is. Yeah kind of interesting about this we we might see different logos in that stadium that the tv cameras pick up on but it's not we're not going to know that hey suddenly seiko watches is a sponsor and the dodgers brought in 15 million dollars through a couple of billboards right and do that we always talk about america's team the cowboys are america's team uh in, in college football there's a lot of teams vying to be america's team at times it feels like texas at times it feels like alabama do the Dodgers become the world's team? <laughs> Do they become, or are they the international team of, of, and does that become a model moving forward for Dang. basketball? For I mean, football, you don't see it as much, but um, I, I can imagine if the Dodgers could sign a high-profile Korean player, 
you can start to create some unique marketing opportunities, right? In terms of really kind of having some pull in the Asian marketplace. Yeah. And I'm sure they have a South American reach as well. And so you start to look like the world's team. I mean, you start, you start to reach these markets that major league baseball previously probably did not or did not very well. So uh, it's interesting, not just for major league baseball, but for sports beyond that and the model that it sets. Okay. Number four. Okay. Messi and inter Miami. Oh yeah. I forgot about that one. It really had this year's there's so much has happened. Okay, so remember when Messi hit Miami? And, and our screens were like full of these like amazing highlights, right? Where it seemed like he was playing at a different speed than the other guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it looked like Michael Vick on Madden 2006. Okay. And there were also reports that the ticket prices had gone from $30 to $300. The reports are that he got paid, I think his – Inter-Miami salary was about $50 million. There may have been some ownership stakes. seems like there was a lot of marketing partnerships involved in all this. This was an enormous deal. I, it even came up when I think they were playing a game in Atlanta. And fans were upset because they had tickets for the game that evening and then saw a post on X or Twitter, whatever it is, that he was shopping at Publix. So he was doing an endorsement, a sponsorship deal with their local – grocery store sponsor also tipping off to the Atlanta fans that you paid big money. He ain't showing up tonight. So there was a a lot of, a lot of newsworthiness in all this. Okay. Now, Doug, you said you forgot about this. I looked it up. You know how many goals, because when, when Messi first hit inter Miami, it was during their in season tournament, right? Yeah. Do you know how many goals he scored for the club? 15. One. I mean, in the regular season. So outside of Oh, beyond that tournament. Beyond that tournament. He scored one goal. I want to – I got this pulled up somewhere. What's up with that? Were they playing like high school teams or something? The the team actually finished, I think, third from the bottom in their conference. So it was an incredibly unsuccessful experiment in terms of – and again, I don't know how much – look, I have no idea how much he played, right? The media coverage disappeared. So maybe he didn't play that much. But he didn't score. The team didn't win. The attendance has them, I think, about 17,000 a game. So, again, near the bottom. Now, they only have a 21,000-seat arena. But for all the the hype, it's amazing how that story seemed to have panned out. And again, I could be – I could be woefully uninformed. Maybe he got hurt. Maybe he was never intending on playing that much. But it's an interesting resolution to this, to at least the first season of that story. Yeah, I mean, either way, it was a short-lived story. It was Colorado football, uh, potentially Tommy DeVito, although I want that to be a longer-term story, but potentially that same type of 15 minutes of fame, a lot of money was paid, soccer was in the limelight in America for the first time, and who knows how long, uh, men's soccer that is. And whether injury or whether simply a better competition brought inner Miami kind of off, off of the front page, if you will, this summer. And, and there weren't a lot of things going on. I mean, I think if that were during football season, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a story. Yeah. I mean, it was during 
Or there was a time over the summer where it was all about soccer. We had the women's national team playing. We yep. had Inter Miami and Messi. But again, kind of that lull. I think the opportunities in baseball season when you're in like when you're at game like number seventy, you're like pre playoff push, but yeah. post like exciting opening day <laughs> part of the season. Sadly, it could be during the MLB World Series, right? I mean, it's- oh, that's also true. That's also true. All right, number. 10. Number 10. The last one. Okay. Women's basketball ratings. So the – up, right? The peak rating, the game, the championship game last year, Caitlin Clark, Iowa, Iowa versus Angel Reese LSU, averaged 9.92 million viewers. That's more than another number we've talked about, isn't it? That's more than what the World Series averaged at about just Holy over cow. That's uh, crazy. Peaking at 12.6 million. Now, this has brought up, I, I don't know, I, I, the two biggest college basketball stars in America. And I think one is justified. One, The other one does not seem justified in terms of actual performance. Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese essentially became the closest thing to household names in college basketball at, at the moment. Clark has, bird. Sorry, yeah. Clark has deals with State Farm and Gatorade. Man, that's that's A plus kind of spokesperson activity. I mean, that's that's Patrick Mahomes level. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as the brand affiliations. Angel Reese has a one point three million dollar deal with, with Reebok. So again, it's Will this last? I, I tend to look at this. I'm, I'm trying to be objective because like everything else in the world of sports, especially when there's one white player, one black player, these racial discussions start to come into it or complaints. I, I tend to think that Caitlin Clark is the unique one in all this, that she's the she's the unicorn, her court presence, the range with which she shoots at, her her fairly crazy workout videos, her mannerisms on the court, that she is the one that is moving. She's the one that's fascinating audiences. What is going to be her long-term impact when we get to the WNBA? Again, I, I have no idea. College basketball, women's basketball, has been an experiment for more than 25 years now at the, at the professional level. It doesn't seem to really be gaining. And I know there could be some pushback that last year was very successful for the WNBA. It doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to really be generating that kind of authentic, ultra loyal fandom that we, that we see in a lot of men's sports, Frank, bottom lining it. I think Kaylin Clark's going to have a LeBron James type fandom in the sense of wherever she goes, there will be people that follow and pull for that team. And they probably won't stick with that team after she leaves. She's an interesting one because her, we've talked about this before, but I, you don't know that much about her personality off the court. Like she's nothing. We've talked, we've talked a lot. We've talked about the Taylor Swifts and Deion Sanders and all these big kind of, brand names off the field or off the court who are bringing attention to their sport or the sport that they're associated with uh, in Taylor's case, Caitlin Clark's kind of the opposite. People watch her cause she's an ama- amazing player to watch. It reminds me of Steph Curry back in the day where I would always tune in if Davidson was on or if the golden state warriors were on back in those old, old jerseys when they played in Oakland, 
and over at Oracle Arena. And with Caitlin, I'm curious to see because the one thing she has going for that Bud Light, for example, doesn't have going for it is nobody dislikes Caitlin Clark right now She because she hasn't done anything controversial. She's just played basketball and played really well. And even like I saw her on the Manning cast earlier this football season and she was on, uh, I forget what team she pulls for. She was so focused on the actual football game that it's like she forgot she was on camera. Like she would, they would ask her a question and it would just be quiet. And she's like, hold up. Like there's a play going on. And she'd watch the play. Like she's a competitor. She loves the game. She loves sports. She was, she was locked in. She knew the game. And I feel like that's just who she is. I feel like that's who she's going to be. And I think it works. I think if I'm, her team, like, don't change anything. Just do what you're doing. You don't have to be Lizzo off the court. You know, you don't have to be a, a personality or a spokesperson. You, know, you just stand. Of course, she may have personal convictions about what she believes and want to use her platform for those things. And that's great if that's what she wants to do. But from a marketing standpoint, she's the best positioned person in the world right now. She's got a blank slate. She's not disliked. She's admired by a lot of people and she's great at what she does doug do you think it'll be an issue for women's basketball in general that they seem to be trying to move to the star system where you can have athletes like caitlin clark making 10 million dollars next year via state farm gatorade subway yeah. coca-cola while her t- and, and again there's probably going to be a few like that Who's this one Sabrina that was in all the ads last last WNBA season? I, I forget. It starts with a Sabrina, let's just say. Uh, Kelsey Plum. So you, you've, you've got a number that are doing a lot on the marketing front that have been identified as stars and they're getting that and they're getting that push. But the rest of that league might be making the gap between LeBron and other very good players might be significant, but maybe he's making 45 million and they're making 20 million. Right. But now you'd be moving to a a situation where the top stars are making 10 million, $15 million and players that are pretty comparable might also be on the all-star team with them are making 150, 200,000. Do you think that's a sustainable model? Yeah, she might. I mean, she might have teammates that are making sub Six figures. I, I don't know, but I imagine that there's someone on the team uh, in that ballpark. And so I don't know as far as it being sustainable. I almost wonder if that's not the way moving forward in sports where the stars do like they are what brings the, the attention and the advertising dollars and the cameras and the fandom, the jersey sales, all the rest and the rest of the team, like in any sport. I mean, of course, in team sports, you want to have a good squad. Like you look at the Denver Nuggets, top to bottom, really good team. Uh, in the NFL, a team like the Eagles, top to bottom, really good team. Great, great lines, great receivers, great quarterback. But there is a certain level of value that the the one celebrity brings. I'm talking about Deion Sanders earlier, talking about, and so I think in college sports, you're going to see it reflecting that way on paper where that Riola kid at Nebraska is going to be making several million dollars and his teammates will be making $30,000 probably. And and so I think in certain leagues, the structure provides for that more than others. And, and LeBron James, he might be making 45 while someone else on his team is making 10 or 20, 
but he's also making a lot more off the court. So I think we're already seeing that with endorsements and in a league like the WNBA, I think it's just the difference, like the percentage difference is just going to be more exaggerated than you see in professional football well, and, and, uh, and professional we're having baseball, a little bit of a technical issue uh, some here. of these other leagues. But one of the things that also comes through in all this, though, is that LeBron's, the, the guys that are the two or three or four players on the Lakers, they can still live in the same zip code as LeBron, right? Whereas for some of these sports, MLS soccer, the WNBA, you're talking about in some of these metro areas not having a salary where you can come close to affording to live in even a decent apartment versus guys that are making bringing in a hundred plus million dollars a year. Okay, Doug, that's our top 10 impactful events in the world of sports and fandom. Okay, but you've brought it up several times, so I, I, I gotta I gotta indulge you a little bit here. Okay, Tommy DeVito. I knew. I knew. Okay, so let me make a let me make an observation. There's nothing unlikable about this story, and I don't know what his parents do, but his parents are Plumber. and the DeVitos are managing this perfectly. In this world where everyone is offended, they are leaning into it, right? Everyone's offended by everything having to do with race and ethnicity, except for the Italians, who are <laughs> celebrating it. You can imagine there's the Sopranos and a Godfather posters up in the house. The whole rating Italian foods thing, coming up with that agent who, again, is leaning into it. I think there's a decent cultural story here. It's a lot of fun, but I think there's also a decent cultural story here of, hey, we're Italians. We have our unique subculture. We love it. We're celebrating it. And wow, he's killing it. Yeah, they've got to tailgate every game outside of MetLife Stadium with the cutlets and the chicken parm and lasagna and fettuccine, like whatever you name it. Like, and, and then the Giants fans are welcome. Any Giants fan goes and hangs out with the DeVito family, like they're you know they have a seat at the table and the agent, and they're taking pictures with him. And yesterday he was wearing this green mm-hmm. suit. He looked like a leprechaun. It's it's fascinating to watch. I I do I will say my Yesterday in the game, DeVito had a had a rough day. He had no help uh, from his offensive line and receivers, and and I will I'll, I'll say I, I wasn't unimpressed by him. <laughs> it's like I'm pulling for him so hard that it's like a bad day, and I'm I'm just blaming everybody else. But Tommy DeVito took a sack once or twice, and the opposing player would get up and start doing yeah, the, yeah. the this guy gesture, the yeah. hand gesture, <laughs> and. I'm not gonna lie. I was a little offended personally. It was like the, I, I was watching. I was like, "Hey, that's it's racist when the opposing team does that." And then I realized somebody has probably been watching this, thinking the whole thing's racist this whole time. It just never felt that way. That with the fans doing the thing and the players and the all the stereotypes. The Pat McAfee talking in his Italian accent on on his show last week. It feels so completely old school to me of like going back to the 80s or the 90s. And again, look, maybe some people are offended by it. I think everyone's having a blast with it. It, it, It seems that way. It's almost like this whole return to Pat McAfee of maybe this, you know, the, the counter, the counterculture 
is now the culture that go, wants to go back to the time of the 90s or the 80s or the 70s where we're not that worried about it, where we can actually have some fun and talk about chicken cutlets <laughs> and, and the agent looking like uh, a character from The Sopranos. It's, I think everyone's well, I, having a blast with it. Well, first off, DeVito's name – so Tommy DeVito is a character on Goodfellas. Like that's the name oh. of the character. So to make it better – but I will say, I think they missed one opportunity here. The nickname that seemed to stick was Tommy Cutlets. I think there's a lot of nicknames that could have been better. Tommy Pastrami is one that I heard. I really like that one. You got the Italian stallion. And and I don't know. I, I think that I think Tommy Cutlets is good. We actually had a Cutlets on, at my house on Saturday night, a little pregame meal that will be a ritual as long as Tommy DeVito's QB1 for the Giants. But I, I'm super bummed that it looks like the Giants are probably out of the playoff race now. Like if they had won yesterday, everyone was talking playoffs. It's going to be pretty hard. They got the Eagles twice and the Rams once in the remainder of the season. Pretty hard to pull that out. And even if they do, they need some help to make it in the playoffs. A Tommy DeVito playoff run would have been magical. I mean, the world, I was hoping this whole Lynn Sanity stretch would just stretch into the playoffs and we'd see something. I do think there will be movies made about Tommy DeVito and his amazing rise to QB1 for the New York Giants and the success that he's had in a couple of weeks, regardless of what happens if he never plays another snap. But because there's something kind of Stetson Bennett about it, it where it feels like a lot of people are talking, oh, is this going to be? There's a weird element to this whole story. Kid from Long Island goes to play at Syracuse, but yeah. he has to make a stopover in Champaign, Illinois, <laughs> to get to the NFL. Yeah, I mean it's there. There probably is a great story there. Losing his job at Syracuse, transferring to Illinois. God, I wish that agent had been on the sidelines at Illinois. I mean, <laughs> Illinois football fandom would have quadrupled, but yeah, Tommy DeVito. I will say this: my gut feeling says this is. Taylor Heineke, there's, I mean, every Gardner Minshew, we've seen these backup quarterbacks have a little bit of success and everyone starts getting excited and it's very short lived. My gut feeling says that, but my heart, Mike, my heart wants this to be Brock Purdy, to be Tom Brady, to be, you know, to be one of these guys who, because if, if he is the face of the New York Giants, I think that he's such a uniting figure in New York. And granted, he's one bad week away from being the most hated guy in the city. And I think he knows that. But I, I think that Tommy DeVito is such a great local. I think that having a local stud be your, your or a local underdog as your star player okay. would be huge. I think Giants fandom would just skyrocket in your uh, rankings. Mike. Don't you love the idea that, I mean, I almost like as a general point, wouldn't it be great? If the backup quarterback was always a local guy, like a <laughs> local guy, yeah. like Cowboys backup quarterback was a good guy with a cowboy hat. George's local backup quarterback was a good old Southern boy likes to hunt and fish. Uh, the 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 Viking backup quarterback is like this blonde guy named Sven. I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> Like the Rams guy is like a surfer, bro. Yeah, I, I like it. I think that, you know, Florida's got this Florida man. He's got like neck tattoos. <laughs> He's the backup quarterback. I love that. I think that from a fandom perspective, 
I think when your quarterback goes out, your season's over. And that's when everyone stops watching, stops being excited, stops having optimism. If the local kid goes in and throws one touchdown and everyone starts looking around like, hey, this guy's one of us. What if he led us to a Super Bowl? What if he people get this weird optimism when it's the hometown kid? And that's what it's been in New York. I, I watch some of the local news stories just on YouTube in New York and kids or, or grown men from his neighborhood talking about watching him playing in sixth grade and the stuff that he did. And it's like he became this this legend in New Jersey and in New York. And I would love that, Mike. I think that that should be standard procedure for these NFL teams. I think you got to go with – I think Stetson Bennett should be QB2 for the Falcons. Oh, likes to hunt, likes to fish, likes to chew. I, I think that, like I said, neck tattoos and for the Miami Dolphins and surfing you know, long, wavy, blonde hair, blue eyes and out in California for the Chargers or the Rams. And I, I think we got ourselves a good start. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here. So that's our take on 2023. I didn't see it coming. I think we've reached consensus that our fanalytics – Homecoming king and queen for the year are Taylor Swift and Tommy DeVito. Uh, They're the two two biggest, our our two favorite stories for fandom in 2023. Um, Can I add one thing? Yeah. The backup quarterback for the Vikings. Got to have that beard. Absolutely. Got to have that beard. And and for the the Bills, he's got to have ice hanging from it. (laughs) There you go. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, So we're out for 2023. Talk to you soon.